Amen. Hey, how you doing this morning, church? Yeah? Okay. Good, good. Well, we're going to jump right into it. Uh, if you didn't get sermon notes this morning, um, uh, just... <laughs> oh, sorry, Pastor Anson's up on stage. i got to give him a moment. <laughs> but if you didn't get them, uh, there's two pieces of paper, sermon notes, and then you'll have a full... A full sheet I want to walk through in a little bit. So just slip up your hand and, and uh, Pastor Anson will bring you one. Um, so if you were to say to me uh, this morning, if you were to say like, uh, you know, I need a deeper relationship with my spouse. I'd say, well, what does your time with them look like? Well, not too good. I'd say, hey, you got to carve out more time with your spouse, right? I mean, you've got to spend time together, get to know each other on a better level. If you were to say, I, you know, I really feel like I, I, I need a deeper time with my family, and I'd say, hey, how's your family time? Uh, not great. Everybody's kind of going their own direction. I'd say, you, you got to carve out time, right? Like at the dinner table or, or you know, regular family night out or something. you got to carve out some time. That would make sense for us, right? We would say, yeah, that's right. I need to do that. If I were to say, how's your walk with God? Eh, not as good as I would have thought. That's the common answer, that I get, not as good as I hope, not as good as it should be. And I say, well, tell me, what type of time are you spending with God? Eh, not a lot. I would say the same thing. You've got to carve out time. You've got to look and say the priority of spending time with God is so significant in my spiritual growth. Listen, let me just be blunt with you, those who call yourselves Christians here. You can't rest on the fact that you became a Christian to continue your Christianity, all right? Now, that doesn't mean you're like, it's gone, you're going to hell and that type of thing. Don't misinterpret that. You cannot have spiritual growth. You cannot have a deepening with God because you became a Christian in the past. There is this ongoing time with God that's so vital, that's so important. Just like those of you sitting today, and some of you might know, you can't have a strong marriage because you said yes at an altar one day. It takes an ongoing daily growth and cultivating. That's all we're talking about in this series called Spiritual Disciplines. We're talking about these disciplines that we're putting in place that we will intentionally do these things, some of which cause sacrifice in our life, because we want to cultivate and grow our relationship with God. Are these disciplines everything of Christianity? No, but they're such a vital component. And for many people, a very important building block at certain points in their journey with the Lord. And so one week we talked about studying God's word, like actually opening up God's word and reading it, right? Not just owning the Bible, but actually reading God's word. Most people I talk to that have been Christians for years, I'd say, like, do you have this, do you have a great grasp of your Bible? Like, you feel like you could really engage in conversation about the God's word and what's in there? And most of them, like, they don't just say no. They say no in fear because they think I'm about to ask them to do something, right? There's panic. But the question that you'd come back with is, why? Why would we be this long in the faith and not have some understanding of God's word? Then we talked about prayer, and we talked about how important it is that we have conversation. If you could imagine the most significant other human being in your life, that person that you say, this is my best friend, or this is my spouse, or this is my son or daughter, and I would say, what's your communication like? Oh, we don't ever talk. <laughs> I mean, but... We're tight. 
Like, that wouldn't make sense to most of us. We're like, well, how'd you pull that one off? Because it doesn't seem like that should be. And yet, it's very common for us as Christians to walk away and say, God's number one in my life. He's the most important relationship I have. Tell me about your time. Oh, well, we don't really spend time together. I mean, we don't really talk. But, I mean, we're, we're tight. It, it, we're fooling ourselves at time. And we talked about how vital prayer is that we would carve out time where we'd actually go before God and we'd turn and we'd start and say, Lord... And then the door is wide open for everything we get to communicate with him. We actually walk you through a guide on, on how Jesus teaches us to pray as well. And I, if you missed that, I encourage you, go to our website or the podcast app and just search Wendover Hills and, and you'll see that, that teaching you can listen to. And then last week, we introduced this concept that we don't think about as much, that confession remains significant to our Christian growth. Not because we need salvation again or that, you know, we got kicked out of the kingdom and we're not going to heaven or we don't think we, we have our sins right with God. But because the relationship with God is so important that if I just continue the relationships, yet I just walk in disobedience as well. Like, is there any earthly relationship we have that that works to have that kind of relationship where it goes smoothly, yet we're still doing things to that person that would not be right? It's the same thing in our relationship with God, that sin actually hurts and harms the relationship. It's at its best when we're walking in his ways. And so we talked about confession last week and reminded that it's, there's always forgiveness when we go to God and we confess. We say, it was me. Forgive me. He always says yes. Never does he say, eh, I don't know. I mean, you did do that a couple times. You know, it, it's straight out yes. And so this week we're going to talk about one that I'm, I'm going to guess that you have not sat and listened to many, if any, your whole life messages on this spiritual discipline. In fact, I'm 46 years old. I became a Christian somewhere around 16 years old. I cannot recall one time, even in my years, listen, I was pastoring for 20 plus years, youth pastor, assistant pastor, which means I get scheduled every single Sunday, right? You know, I'm there. I hear the sermon every week. I cannot recall a sermon that the whole sermon was focused on this spiritual discipline. And since it's right before lunch, it's a perfect time for us to talk about the spiritual discipline of fasting. Fasting. Now, this morning, um, I would guess that it, it, as we talk about fasting, you equally have not uh, thought about a teaching uh, on fasting You know, from a church. Maybe you had one somewhere. Or maybe you've gone through a little booklet or something like that on fasting. But George Barna was actually doing research for his latest book, came out about four or five years ago, and uh, he's a Christian statistician, George Barna, and that's what his group does. And so they were doing research on this issue of fasting, and they asked just the average Christian, do you have a regular time of fasting in your life, in your Christian walk? Now, you have to understand the definition of a regular time is once a year. Now, for most of us, we would not call that regular, right, if we did it once a year. But that, for the purpose of the studies, once a year. Now, here's the thing that they found out. Their equation, their mathematical equation they run through the computer, it actually was only set up to calculate down to a tenth of a percent. So the first go-around when all the data was put in there, the equation couldn't calculate because it came out to less than a tenth of one percent of Christians had some type of regular once a year time of fasting in their lives. So they had to kind of rework their data to come up with something. Now, I read that, and, and my first thought was going like, man, just like we read about 
uh, you know, Bible reading two to three minutes a week for the average Christian or prayer outside of Sunday morning or mealtime, 45 seconds a week. Um, and now we're less than, you know, my first thing was a little bit of discouragement. But then I got to thinking, let me give us a little bit of a pass because we don't teach on it. We don't think about it. We, it's not something that's very commonly understood in the contemporary church movement especially. So I thought that the focus of our sermon this morning should be asking the question, what is fasting? Where do we see it in God's word? What's the purpose of it? And then how do we take at least one step to put it in practice this morning? So if you're one that, like, you're just fervent in this area, like it's actually part of your act of worship, regular fasting, you might find this a bit basic. But for the most of us, I would say fasting doesn't show up. And so let's talk about it this morning, and we're going to start with this idea of what is fasting? What is it? So take a look at your sermon notes, and we're going to walk through this, and I left plenty of space for you to write in the side however you need to. From a biblical perspective, if we open up God's word, and I said, I want you to read Genesis through Revelation, and you're just like, man, I crank at reading, so you just pump through the whole thing. And then I were to ask you, tell me what are the biggest spiritual disciplines that show up in there? Just make a list. You're going to find that fasting is going to show up in your top five. You're going to see it in there. It shows up that, in fact, we see verses about fasting and somebody going to a regular time of fasting or fasting in prayer. We see that more than we see any verses that say, go to church, go to a regular gathering. It's that significant in God's word. It shows up in different areas. Throughout scripture, take a look at your notes, fasting refers to abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Like there is some spiritual purpose, there's some connection with God, and I'm abstaining from food because of my interaction or relationship or connection or growth or response to God. There's only one time in the Bible where we actually find a verse about fasting where it doesn't pertain to food. You know what it pertains to? Yes. Very good. My wife got the answer. Sex. Just one verse. It replies to sex. Everything else has to do with food. Food. Re refraining from food. And I'm reading that and I'm thinking maybe from a modern day context, context, like I can't quite understand that. I can't quite get all of that. I grab my food on the go. Do you not? You know, like you get in the car and you swing through the drive-thru, you grab your food, it's sitting in here, you marvel at your ability to balance, you know, fries and a burger and everything, you know, and, and eat. And if you have a stick shift, you're even more talented, right? And you move on down the road. That's how we think about eating at times. But think about eating from a time of the meal's a big deal. And we come together as a family and we sit and we process life, and we sit around the table, and the meal is significant. We can understand this in the context of this month when we think about the meal of Thanksgiving. Not many of us will have that Thanksgiving meal in our car balancing those components, right? Cranberry sauce gets a little tough. We sit at a table, and we eat. And when we think about that, and we think about fasting that type of interaction, fasting that type of event for the purpose of some connection with God, we get a little bit different picture of what they were doing often, not at every meal, but what they were doing often in the time of fasting. 
Let me tell you a couple things that fasting is not. Fasting is not a hunger strike. Every once in a while, you, like you, you hear that somebody goes on a hunger strike, um, you know, conditions are bad, or there's some injustice, and they go on a hunger strike kind of to make a statement uh, for certain things, all right? Sometimes that thing really resonates with us, and we get it, and we're like, yeah, I, I understand, you know? Sometimes we look at that and go, that sounds really strange, what they're doing. Um, but that kind of a hunger strike thing, that's not fasting. It's not a hunger strike, it's also not a diet. It, we don't go to fast before the Lord because we're like, man, I'm feeling a little bit here around the middle. Um, I'm going to fast, go before the Lord, and I'm going to really hope I lose some weight during that time. Now, chances are if you go on a prolonged fast, like if you say, you know, like I'm going to add into my spiritual discipline a time of a seven-day fast every year where I have a prayer journal, and I walk through that prayer journal throughout the week, and, or I look for a certain direction in my life and, and maybe for others, and so a seven-day fast. Chances are at the end of the seven days, the scale is going to look a little different. But that's not the intent of fasting. That's not the point of it. And I realize there's lots of things out there, including a, a, a Bible-based book called The Daniel Fast, where uh, there is uh, a fast. Um, it's called a fast. It's really a, an adjustment to how we eat and when we eat and how much based on what God gave to the children of Israel in the Old Testament. So it's not just a diet. In fact, we actually find that biblically, it, it's, it's normally refraining from food, solid or liquid food, but not water. So water's involved. Drink as much water as you want, and we find that in, in God's word. But it's abstaining from the solid food or a liquid form of that food, which means a lot less nutrition, nutrients come during this time of fast uh, as well. That's what we see in God's word. So let's take a little bit, a look at a couple passages we find as well, just so we get examples. And then I think the key thing is to ask ourselves, what's the purpose of this? Why even do this kind of thing? Fasting in the Bible. We find some instances, and this is just a handful. There's many others. But this handful of times where there's two different things. There's fasting between an individual and God, where an individual decides, I will fast because they are interacting with God or they're responding to God about something, or they're fasting on the behalf of someone else that they're praying for, those type of interactions. Um, and we find one here uh, with Jesus involved in Luke chapter 4. Now, we've talked about the baptism of Jesus, and if you remember, we actually get this imagery of the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus. Right away, we find in the next chapter, chapter 4 of Luke, it says this, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returns from the Jordan River, where he was baptized, and he is led by the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, leads him into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. Showdown in the wilderness, Jesus and the devil, for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Now, the last statement is probably the biggest dust statement in the Bible, right? You know, he didn't eat for 40 days, and he became hungry. We would go, of course, 40 days of fasting. Now, we're going to talk in just a little bit about encouraging you Wednesday morning to get up and to fast Wednesday. Till dinner time, to fast your snacks, your breakfast, your lunch, your coffee, your, all of it. Till, uh, some of, you know, a couple of you were just like, uh, fast, okay, breakfast. I said coffee, and there was panic that went out throughout the room. But like fasting at all, drink water throughout the day, and then at, at the mealtime, at dinner time, come together, and we'll talk about that practically. But one day is going to be a challenge for many of you. 
Jesus, remember, fully human, 40-day fast. This is crazy. And in the middle of the 40-day fast, he's in, like, he's in this confrontation with, with Satan. And Satan's very first temptation to Jesus, sneaky, is very first one is about having some of this bread. You know, it's like you on Wednesday afternoon come three o'clock. You're still three hours away from, you know, finishing off the fast. And somebody comes along and says, yeah, do you want a, you want a cheeseburger? You want, this is leftover here. You want a cheeseburger? I mean, Jesus is in the middle of this fast and he gets tempted in this way by Satan. And of course, he rebuffs the temptation. He does it two more times, all the way to the point where he's being tempted to have authority and power over everything. He rebuffs this. And of course, as we said last week, it says the devil left him for a more opportune time, something that apparently has never come because Jesus has never given in to Satan. So we find here this individual interaction where Jesus is fasting and he's depending on the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that leads him into this, his direct confrontation with Satan here. And we find this resisting. Now, we often think about the power of the Holy Spirit, but have you thought about the power of the Holy Spirit even in a depleted state? And that's what we're finding in this passage, how significant the work of the Holy Spirit is in our life. Then we find this other passage back in uh, Daniel chapter 10, where Daniel has just seen this vision, and this vision is talking about this is what the people of God are now going to have to go through from now on, and it's, it's horrendous, right? I mean, it's destruction, it's empires coming in, it's leading them up to really, uh, many scholars would say, all the way up to what we see at the beginning of the New Testament, right? No longer are they going to have uh, like their freedom, they're going to be under control, and so Daniel is seeing this vision, right? And this is how Daniel responds to what he's seeing, this hardship that's going to be upon the people. Daniel on, uh, basically intercedes for them, and he has this time of prayer and fasting. For three weeks, he goes and he's praying and he's fasting. He's saying, look, nothing is going to take priority in this time, and he's praying and he's fasting on behalf of these people. And God says... A little bit later in, in Daniel 10, I encourage you to read that on your own. God says, from the moment you began your time of prayer, every word was heard. There's something about Daniel saying, I'm stripping away everything, even food, which was a major deal, and saying, I'm going before you to pray on behalf of these people. It's not an accessory. It's not an add-in. It's not like, hey, when I get to break time, maybe I'll do it. Like He prioritizes this time of prayer with fasting. Fasting is the avenue for this priority, and God hears him. So that's a couple examples. There's many others of this individual, but we also get a couple of examples of corporate, of times when like this whole group or, or the whole nation of Israel comes together and has a time of fast. One of these, the very first one, is found in Leviticus uh, chapter uh, 23. It's actually found in 16, it begins, and then chapter 23 in this a small bit in chapter 25 of Leviticus. Those are three uh, chapters, or just jump in and read more of Leviticus, and you'll get this whole story, where we actually find that this Day of Atonement is introduced. And this Day of Atonement, that is when you would bring your sacrifice. And this was the day where this animal would be slaughtered for the atonement of your sin. And there would have been forgiveness, and redemption would come from this. 
And on this day of atonement, the 10th day of the month in autumn, on this day of atonement, they were to fast. They were required to fast. In fact, this is the only time we find in the law of the Old Testament that there's a requirement to fast. The whole nation, when they would come on the day of atonement, they would all fast. So what we're finding in here is corporately, they're fasting for confession, for atonement. And now, we don't have a day of atonement, not in this sense. Like, as far as I know, sacrificing animals is not legal. So uh, don't attempt that type uh, of thing. But we go to God and we confess. We talked about it last week. There's still atonement for our sin where God says, you're forgiven. The blood of Christ covers you in that. You're forgiven. Now, just like the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Now go live out life in Christ. And so there are these times where I think fasting could be very significant to us when we focus entirely on confession and saying, I did that, and forgive me, Lord. And then the praise we offer, Lord, for the forgiveness of our sins as well. Then we find this, this other moment where it's in the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2, if you want to read it. This is emergency. This is a time where the whole nation is being overrun by locusts. I have no idea what that's like, but if there's one grasshopper hopping around in my bathroom or kitchen or something like that, that is immediate removal from the raven household, you know, the best I can, or cricket or that type of things. Um, so this is, again, a whole swarm. It's an invasion. And if you want to read the destruction that happens, look at Joel chapter 2 and read the first 11 verses of Joel chapter 2, and you'll see the destruction, especially to crops and animals, um, that happens uh, in this, this passage here. And it's so, uh, it's so potent that um, Joel, we actually find, goes to the Lord and to intercede on behalf. And this is what happens. The Lord responds this way. This is why the Lord says, turn to me while there is time. Talking to the nation, turn to me, give me your hearts. Come with fasting and weeping and mourning. Don't tear your clothes in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Like we find there, there's this natural response here to this emergency, the natural response is to turn to God and to make sure they're worshiping God alone and they're, they're mourning and, and crying out to God and fasting finds its way in there as an important discipline. In fact, as we look at all four of those, what we actually find in God's word is that people regularly had fasting as part of how they worshiped God and how they interacted with God. The simple matter is we don't. We don't think that way. In fact, when was the last time that you said, hey, I'm going to church this morning. It's going to be great. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to worship and pray and hear some teaching and fast. And like when we'd never have that in, all right? I mean, maybe we are fasting because we really don't eat a lot when we're sitting here for an hour, right? You got an hour fast every week. But if you think about it in terms of just your daily time, like how's your daily walk with God? You know, it's been really good. I've been getting in God's word and I've been, you know, I've been praying and I've had some times of confession which have been powerful and we've been fasting and um, like we don't think that way. We don't process. And as George Barna's stats tell us, very, very few engage in this type of practice. But we find in God's word, it's regular. It's just an understanding. It's part of worship. 
And we're actually going to see it a little bit more as we ask the question, what's the purpose of this fasting? Here's the overall significant thing. Fasting centers us on our relationship with God. Fasting is removing one thing that is of utmost and priority to us, importance to us, and instead substituting time with God, most likely in the prayer form, but spending that time with God instead of eating. It also centers us on God when we think in terms of just simple you know, hunger cravings or even hunger pains, that they draw us in a reminder that though food physically sustains us and has to sustain us, right, there is one more powerful in our life that brings substance to our life, and it is God. And these short times of fasting remind us that and point us to that. And so this, in this, the most important thing is the relationship with God in fasting, in fact, Jesus knew this was a problem. It was a problem among the religious leaders. So he says it this way in Matthew chapter 6. He says, when you fast, don't make it so obvious as the hypocrites do, for they look miserable and, and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. Like Jesus is pretty direct. He says, look, when, when you're fasting, don't walk around going, ugh, ugh. Oh, what's wrong with you today? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Are you sure? You look miserable. Well, I have been fasting, me and the Lord. You know, I mean, Jesus is saying that's ridiculous. He said, in fact, whatever sympathy you might get when somebody looks at you and says, oh, holier than thou. I mean, this person is like a holy model. Jesus says it this way. That's the only recognition and reward they'll ever get. As if there's, Jesus is saying, God has no interest in it. No interest at all. Instead, he said, but when you fast, I love this verse, comb your hair and wash your face. Like, clean yourself up so that it's not, it's not very clear. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. The most significant component of fasting of any of our worship is that relationship with God. And fasting removes something so important to us. And we substitute that time or that focus or that craving on a time with God. Richard Foster says it this way, fasting must forever center on God. He's the center. Now, just to put it in context for us, because for some of us, the mealtime may not be this significant time. I mean, you may grab and go really quick, right? You know, I mean, you're just the two-minute eater with a hot dog and whatever from the gas station. I don't know. But I want you to think about it in fasting even multiple things, other things in our life. Not that we'd substitute the food fasting. There's an important discipline in that that we should follow and do, and that's the focus of this teaching. But I also want us to think on terms of other areas that we would fast. What are they in our life? Now, if you said this week, I am fasting, you know, TV shows. Now, we watch a couple, right? But I probably could roll through the week pretty good fasting the TV shows. Um, maybe not the sports, but uh, probably could roll through, fast those TV shows, you know, and feel pretty good. But where does it hit? Like, where are these things that are such priority in my life that if I would remove them, and I said, I'm going to substitute focusing on God praying on behalf of others or praying or spending time with God 
for these short periods of fasting, what would that be? Now, some of you were clever. You just said, I'm going to fast work this week. Not even going in. Not a good idea, right? Or you'll be fasting work for the rest of your days. It'll be done, at least with that job. What about your tablet or your phone? I mean, do you ever forget it? You leave it at home. You go for a walk with the dog, and you didn't carry it with you. How many times, like, as you're walking the dog, do you go, like, you know, like, oh, I'll just look that up. Oh, I don't have it. I mean, easy, five or six times, you know, that's normal. Or the little phantom vibrations, you know, you get, you know, like, it's just, no, I don't even have it. It couldn't have rang, you know. Like, we've conditioned ourselves that way to feel that and think that. Now, imagine just saying, look, on Wednesday, to go along with food, I'm going to fast my phone throughout the day. For some of you, like, the food, you're like, yeah, I could probably make it. And the phone thing adds, whoa, wait a second. This is just ramped up a notch. I wasn't prepared for that. We're thinking out in terms of saying the most important relationship is God. And there are these periods of time, not get rid of your phone forever. Don't, you know, put away your food forever. But there's these periods of times we find in God's word where they fasted for the purpose of some interaction with God. We find at the temple with this lady who had a dedication in her life to worship, and notice how she worships. Then she lived as a widow at, to the age of 84. That's old in God's word. She never, excuse me, the New Testament at least, she never left the temple but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with what? Fasting and prayer. Are you kidding me? Where's the excitement in that, right? I mean, I want... I want a good song, right? Three or four verses of a song or three or four songs. And then, you know, I want that preacher to get up and just, you know, like give it to us and just go for it, right? She's worshiping by prayer and fasting. That was her focus. Can you imagine if I said, hey, from now on, Sunday morning, nothing wrong with singing, nothing wrong with the message. We find that in God's word. It's important. But if we say, hey, from now on or for this next year, we're just going to pray and fast on Sunday mornings. That's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be spending our time in praying, and we're all going to be fasting on Sundays. That would be a pretty potent change in our church focus, right? In fact, I would guess to say attendance might dwindle just a little bit in the church world because we're conditioned to worship in other areas, other ways, which are good. But when we find these serious components, biblical, spiritual disciplines, and we find this lady committed to them, I walk away saying, I think this is something to incorporate into our worship and to see what God would have for us and see where God wants to lead us. Richard Foster even says it this way, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. I read that right away, uh, and I was like, man, that, that's impactful. Because if I, if I get rid of something, I put it aside, I will find right away if it controls me or not. If it doesn't control me, then it's pretty easy. You know, I just needed to actually release it. But I will find right away there's a few of these components in my life that they control. Now, is it bad for food to control? No. Our bodies are built that way, right? But for these short periods of time to release the things that even have this grip on us, For the point and the purpose of connecting with God is powerful. Fasting actually opens up these avenues to this type of interaction with God. In fact, prayer time actually reveals to us our dependency on God as well. And then a short little verse in the book of Psalm chapter 69 that says this, 
I humbled my soul with fasting. Like I humbled myself with fasting. Like fasting reminded me that God is this amazing God and that he is my provider. And, and I get actually get my substance through God first. And that God then gives to me. And the things he gives to me, food being one of them, shelter and relationship and these type of things. But that's because of my dependency on God. That's because I understand who God is and where his importance is and where mine is. And if I'm not careful, maybe if you're not careful, I can live out my day saying I have dependency on God. But if you were to just follow me and you, all the evidence was based on what you saw and not what you heard out of my mouth, you might think otherwise. Fasting reminds us of that. It humbles us. It puts me where I need to be because God is where he needs to be. Richard Foster then says it this way. Fasting reminds us we are sustained by God. We're sustained by him. Our strength comes from God. Even above food, it comes from God. So here's a takeaway this week. It's practical. Um, The first question to ask yourself is, why don't we fast more then? Why doesn't this find its way into our discipline? Well, one thing I think is just practically, it's inconvenient, right? It's just inconvenient to fast, right? All of us, I think most of us, you can roll through and miss one meal throughout the day, right? Your, your job gets busy or, you know, you're driving the kids everywhere and, um, you know, you run through real quick to, to get them food and you realize you got $4.37, you know, that's just enough to feed the kids through the McDonald's drive through So you just sacrifice yourself. We all can get through that meal. But when we start to add a second meal or a third meal, those become inconvenient, right? Or we start to think, um, like, In my situation, we've got an international student from China, right? Very little God understanding coming to live in America, and it's been such a blessing to have her. And I think, well, Wednesday morning, do I make her fast? Do I say, you're not eating today because we're all going to commune with God all day, you know? That's such uh, an off concept still. It's inconvenient, In many other ways, you probably thought of them before I even got to this line. You thought of reasons why Wednesday would be inconvenient for you. Oh, there's that party at work on Wednesday, though. They're throwing that birthday thing. There's going to be cake. You know, maybe I'll do it on Thursday. So, you know, it's inconvenient. That's one reason. The other one is we've convinced ourselves we can't do it. Like, in reality, there is about 1% or so of people that are in some type of medical condition or physical condition where you need to offset your fast because that's just where your body is, and that's what's going on with you. About 1% or so is what, what, what we see. But I think if we talk about it, it probably runs more like about 90% of us are going through something. You know, like, I work out at 5 a.m., you know, and you know, when I'm depleted, I've got to have, you know, this or that, you know. Or, I mean, just fill in the blank. I mean, we, we have some reason why we just can't do it. My body can't do it, Right? And then finally, I I think we'd rather substitute something else first. We'd rather say, well, we don't have to fast food, right? Fast food, right? Um, We we don't have to fast our phone. I mean, come on, I got to call people. um, And we just keep working down the list till we find something that is manageable, that's fairly easy to fast that day. You know, like I will fast, I don't know, 
um, I'll fast going to a certain store that day, or I'll fast maybe your television show that day. It doesn't come on Wednesday anyway, so you'll be great this week, right? You know, I'll fast, and we just kind of work down the list until it's something we could actually do. The focus of fasting in the Bible and what we see is why food was so heavily involved is because it was such a central thing that you remove the central thing for that short period of time and you fill up that time with connection with God, intentional time with God. So how do we start? Well, we're encouraging you as a church that you'd start by thinking of one day, just thinking about one day. If you're not fasting at all, if like that's never a part of your life to fast, you know, like even when you're trying to lose weight, you don't skip meals, right? So you just one day is going to be a big deal for you to wake up in the morning and for you to not jump right in to your coffee or lattes or wherever you go with that normally in the morning or your breakfast or your lunch or that uh, meal you eat in between breakfast and lunch. I know all about it, right? Uh-huh. So I eat it too. Or, or the afternoon snack that you get or whatever somebody had left over from the party and it's still sitting in the fridge and I mean, all that kind of stuff. If you say, I'm going to leave that alone, one day is going to be a big deal. In fact, it will be less about hunger pains, and it will be more about your mental conditioning is going to start hitting you like bonkers. You're going to be all the time thinking, I should be eating right now. I missed a meal right now. You know, you're going to know that throughout the day and be processing you know, the eight or so options you're going to eat at, at dinner time because that's when you can eat. All those type of things focus us to remind us, I need to pray at this time. I'm hungry. I missed a meal. I need to pray. All those promptings are in place for that time. And so start with just one day, one day that you can walk through it. Now, what do you do in that day? We're encouraging you in step two is to use a prayer guide to actually walk through something that day. In fact, you have a sheet of paper, which on the front side shares a bit about fasting, a little bit more about what it is, how to prepare yourself for that, what to expect for that, especially if you went for a prolonged fast. But if you flip it on the back side, there's a prayer guide that goes along with it. And it just walks through a similar concept that we did two weeks ago in our prayer message. And it gives you some ideas of what to pray for. So when you wake up in the morning, if your normal time is to wake up and head straight to the coffee machine, instead, maybe grab some water and go right into your prayer list and just pray. And maybe all five of those components, you don't work through at every moment, but you start off and say, okay, I'm going to start this prayer time off with a prayer of praise to God. Thank you, God. I praise your name, God. Something we said two weeks ago, we don't pray enough of. And you just work through that throughout the day. Add into that some prayer journal, a sheet of paper where you think of anything you want to pray for throughout that day, any component, anything you've heard. Like, I think I heard about that one person that got cancer. I don't remember their name. I don't remember even what's going on. Write it down. Pray for that person, right? And then you're over here and thinking, I think somebody said something about, you know, I don't know, they lost their cat or, you know, and maybe in your world, that's not like you're like, you know, lost cat, they happen, but Pray for that person. It could be devastation for that one person. Everything you can think of, put it on a list and pray. Add those in throughout the day. That would be some type of prayer journal uh, as well or prayer request list. And then hang on. Just hang on throughout your day. You'll make it. You'll be fine. And lift up those things in prayer. And then finally, we're encouraging you to do this. Don't just end the day 
but in the day with some celebration. For most of you, you might be around a dinner table and you'll have family or you'll have you know, somebody else with you. But even if you're not, even if you're alone, actually share what happened in your time of prayer. It's okay in your time. You won't be boasting to say, well, normally when we eat breakfast today, it was pretty cool because we prayed for these things. And I thought about that person all day long after I prayed for him. And I just know I would have not thought about him had we not prayed. But just have a time where you shared what happened. What did you experience? Share, like, man, at 2 o'clock, it was the worst. I really wanted combos and a Coke at 2 o'clock. You know, whatever. Just share what you experienced throughout the day. And then finally, do this. Plan your next time. You don't need the church to put something on. You say, you know what, that's impactful. It's inconvenient. It's hard. But it's impactful. Let's do this again next Wednesday. Let's do this the first Wednesday of every month. Let's do this. Plan out your next time when you would do this. Maybe as a family or you would do it as, as an individual or maybe just with your spouse, however you want to line that up. That simple component like that will just kickstart us. It'll launch us into this discipline of fasting, something that for most of us, if Barna's stats are correct, will never do, rarely ever do. Well, let me pray for you in this, because I think it's going to take the Lord's hand to encourage us, to push us along, and uh, there'll probably be some times that we want to take the on-ramp, to, on-ramp or off-ramp, excuse me, to not doing this, and uh, let's just pray the Lord's Spirit would lead us and convict our hearts. So, Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, that, that Lord, this discipline is, is important. We see it in your word, throughout your word, and we only touched on a, just a couple passages, but there's so many. Father, I'd love if when we think about during our weeks a time of prayer and worshiping of you that we think in terms of fasting as well. Lord, I know for many, like, it's hard to even wrap their head around the why, how, how does this happen? So, Father, may we just step out and trust in you and do it, and then would we celebrate and see and have testimony to what you did through it. So lead us as a congregation, each as individuals, as we'll be all in our own context doing it on Wednesday, but corporately, the significance that we're doing it together. Lead us and guide us in that way is special. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, a little bit different on the card this week. We ask you every week if you would take this card and, and fill out whatever prayer request, and we'd be happy to pray for you. But here's what I'd like to do is on Tuesday afternoon, I'd like to email you a copy of a prayer list of things that you can be adding into your time of prayer. So I gave you a list that gives you categories on what to put in. I'd love to give you specific things to lift up in prayer that are going on in the life of people uh, in our church and around. And so what I'd like to ask you to do is if you're comfortable with anything you have that would go out to the church so that people would be praying, just simply write it on here. And this is how you do it. So So hear this direction. Write day of fasting... And then whatever's below that, I'm going to assume that's what you want to go on the list, right? And so I'm going to say like this. If you put it down, I'm going to say, hey, pray for Sheree. She's got a big project at work. Unless she says no name, then I'm going to say, please pray for a lady who has a big project at work this week. So, um, but at least, even if you want it anonymous, at least let us be praying for you in this day of fasting. This one day where collectively we're asking everybody, putting away food, And every time we would have eaten or every time we feel the little hunger groans, 
we're going to stop and we're going to be praying. That's a day you can be prayed for um, by a significant group. Plus, uh, our normal times of gathering and praying, we'll be doing that throughout the week as well. So does that make sense? So day of fasting, whatever is below that, then I will include on there whatever. If you don't want, just write no name, and then I'll keep it anonymous, and I'll, I'll put it more general. Does that sound good? And then fold this up, drop it in the baskets, or use the two boxes that are in the fellowship hall if you need a little bit more time to write as well. Um, that'd be fine, and then drop it in there. Or you can just bring it up to me direct if you'd like to do that. So, good? All right, great. Uh, also, anything else you want to fill out in here, let us know. Change of address, anything. If you're new with us, glad you're here. Um, just as much information as you'd like. And then we've got kind of a sweet prize for you afterwards if you want to exchange. I say sweet because it's chocolates. Um, so, uh, come see me outside afterwards and bring your card and We'll exchange it for some, uh, some chocolate. It's not leftover Halloween candy. It's good new stuff. Hey, a couple things that are going on. Um, Deck the Halls is happening on November 24th. Basically, we just get together, eat snacks, hang out, decorate the whole church for Christmas. We get it all ready. And so good time of fellowship, um, but it's fun to, to decorate. And then when we come back the next Sunday, it will be the first week of Advent and uh, we're ready to go for Christmas, and uh, it'll look great in here. So if you'd come and help, 530 on the 24th, it's open to anyone to come and to help. And then uh, over the next couple weeks, we'll have a couple items too. So if you want to come and bring one of the items along, most we have from last year, but we'll need just a little bit more uh, as well. Then uh, December 8th. One of the biggest Sundays that we do every year around here. One of the most holy and spirit-filled Sundays. Uh, that may be going far. It is our Christmas sweater Sunday on December 8th. So now I was expecting a little bit more enthusiasm about that. I mean, doesn't that excite you, Brian? So, all right, you're off the praise team. Um, so uh, basically, just wear a Christmas sweater that day. We have fun with it. We have some, some, some contests and prizes. You don't have to enter the contest because you wear one, but uh, um, we just, just have a good time with that. And uh, sky's the limit on what you, what you wear. Um, you know, as long as uh, your you know, biblical-loving grandmother would not blush, you can wear it So that day. So, uh, so think through that. And then finally, Christmas Eve service on the 24th. And, uh, and listen, guys, I... I want you to know, uh, because I know that from your perspective, you probably just hear your senior pastor harps on you every year on Christmas Eve. I just want to tell you a second from my heart perspective. Like when I hit this time of year, like my mind just starts to go gangbusters on, you know, where I go to the gym, where I go to my kids' activities, where I interact with people. Who out there is the door open to invite them? Because I know it's one of three services a year that they're most likely to say yes to come and to be in church, and they're most likely to hear a very clear presentation of the gospel as well. And I've trusted the community and the friendliness of this place, you know, for the nine years I've been here. And so, like, for me, this season, it's never too early to start prepping and preparing and intentionally connecting with people to invite them to come to be here on Christmas Eve service. I'm asking you to think the same way, um, to join me in that, and let's just pack this place. But uh, like I've said before, um, they won't come if you're not here. Just You can't invite and say, oh, yeah, by the way, I won't be here, but you should go. So it just won't happen. They won't be here. Um, so I'm encouraging you, rework your, your family schedule. Maybe open the gifts a little later, a little before. Let the, the meal just sit a little bit until you at, eat it. But come and join us on the uh, 24th at 6.15 for our one service, and we'll just kind of pack it out uh, that night. So sound good? 
All right. We're going to invite our ushers to come and take up our morning tithes and offerings. And uh, oh, I forgot one thing, super important. Um, while they're doing that, uh, let me invite Cecil Lake up, our youth pastor, to tell you all about the bags that you saw uh, in the fellowship hall. Good morning, guys. All right. So um, on Friday, our youth got together and packed some bags. Uh, a bunch of you guys have brought in some items that we did on the list. Um, we're inviting you guys to take these bags out. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Cecil. It was such a cool thing the youth did the other night to, to pack these bags. Thank you for those who brought uh, those as well. So let's uh, scatter out and get those delivered uh, th- today or this early this week as well. So, hey, if the ushers came through as well and you weren't quite ready, remember the giving boxes are in the fellowship hall or windoverhills.org uh, is, is a good way, easy way also. Why don't you stand up and let's invite the praise team to lead us out singing.